0: Welcome back, everyone, to Wells Preachers Podcast. We're talking about Holy Thursday Year C. Our theme for this series is a holy week, a short one-week worship series. We have the word holiday, short for holy day. The promo text for this series talks about on how a holiday we change our schedule, we kind of slow down to mark some special event or celebrate some influential individual. We're doing that now for an entire week, slowing our schedule down as we ponder this most important week in human history. The theme for this particular day, Holy Thursday, is His Food, Our Fill, so we're going to remember the events of this evening. If you are listening to this and have purchased the new Christian worship resources, you know, that is the title for this day, Holy Thursday. I'm thankful that I don't have to explain what Wandy means or worry about mispronouncing it, which I always do. Our participants today are Pastor Jonathan Bauer of Good News Lutheran in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, Pastor Joel Rousseau of Faith Lutheran in Tallahassee, Florida, and Professor Tom Cuck, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hyde, Coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. Joel, let me start with you. Is is it overly simplistic to say that the aim of this day is to simply help our people better appreciate the blessing of the Lord's Supper? Take us deeper than that. What do you want to be on your members' minds and hearts as they walk away from worship this Holy Thursday?
1: i will kind of answer twofold. I I don't think that's overly simplistic because we don't get many opportunities for such specific sacramental preaching. Um, But that being said, if you look at the different readings, and this is where I'm excited to hear John Bauer talk in a second, uh, they kind of emphasize different aspects of the Supper. And so you look at some of the phrases that Jesus uses, just even as he institutes the meal and they're loaded and packed. And I think the, the one that you really want to zero in on, or at least that I did, is is that covenantal aspect of the new covenant and how this is being established. And the other readings just seem to really tee that up. Um, like I said, I'm really excited to hear what John has to say, because I think he'll have more insight on that. But I hope I zeroed in on the, the right words there.
0: Yeah, well, okay. You you threw it to John Bauer. John, why don't you walk us through the three readings? Help us see how they intersect and explain why we settled on Luke twenty-two to be the one we're going to preach on.
2: Yeah, I I think Joel, uh, you know, hit the hit the nail on the head there. And I think, you know, just even zooming out a little bit and looking across the three years A, B, and C, there there is a little bit of uh, distinction and uniqueness across those three years. Each year has a slightly different emphasis, even though. Each year, there's going to be in one way or another, a focus on Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper and and the words that are given at that institution. But I think as you look at the year C readings, uh, the thing that that really jumps out right away is this Old Covenant, New Covenant distinction. So you've got the first reading from Jeremiah 31, um, which is just interesting from the standpoint that, you know, here you have the prophet who is... Ah, uh, probably most associated with uh, pronouncing on God's people the consequences of their disobedience, their failure to keep the old covenant. And yet in in that context, um, you know, as as God said when He called him, yes, he's going to uproot and tear down, but he's also going to build and plant. And so he's already letting the people know uh, there's going to be a, a new covenant on the way, one that in in every way is different. From the old covenant. So then in Hebrews, in the in the second reading from Hebrews 10, you've got the writer there actually quoting Jeremiah's words um, and pointing out to to people who were uh, being tempted to sort of uh, turn back from the Christian gatherings that they were a part of and go back to to Jewish gatherings that were uh, characterized by the old covenant. He's kind of making the case, look, even even in the Old Testament, God was already preparing us for the fact that this old covenant was going to be superseded by a new covenant, one that is superior in every way. Um, And so because that is the case, because that has now been fulfilled, uh, let's not stop meeting together as Christians. Let's not stop drawing near to God in this new way that he's established. Um, let's not go back to, to the old way. And so then in, in the gospel, uh, with Luke's record of Jesus' institution of the sacrament, you've got then the way that that is spelled out. How do Christians draw near to God? How do Christians draw near to each other um, in this new arrangement that God has made between himself and sinners, Jesus really, really spells that out. Um, there is that that phrase, "New Covenant." I think in in both Matthew and Mark, there's a, a variant reading as to whether it's covenant or new covenant. But here in, in Luke, it's most definitely. This is my blood of the new covenant, and so that that gets emphasized here. And, and I'm uh, very interested and, and excited to dig into those words specifically with the brothers here but yeah that that distinction between old and new the old could not satisfy by its very nature it was unable um to to create a re- right relationship with god but this new covenant is able to satisfy our spiritual needs
0: i think and i think you just nailed then his food our fill that this is the filling the, um of the covenants um, Professor Koch, our listeners have dug into the text. It's a little longer one. it's well known. you have any initial thoughts about it?
3: Uh, sure. The, the Greek in the, this section is not particularly difficult so um, that's that's helpful <laughs> for many of us that's for sure. Um, one of the, the perhaps little details that would slip past us is, um, is both at the beginning of verse seven, when the day of unleavened bread came and then again uh, in verse 14 and then came the hour and one of Luke's little, I don't know if you'd call it as strong as a, a habit or a, um, is something he does regularly, but it is a little mark of his is that he does like to put these little time notes in there. And by taking us down to the hour, um, He's kind of focusing our attention in and saying, this is it. This is crunch time, boys. And uh, everything that happens afterwards in Luke's gospel, this is this is crunch time. And included in that is that uh, the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And so yeah, while certainly we can preach broader than that, and can and should, we also don't want to miss it <laughs> because this is part of the, you know, this is it. This is crunch time. We're down to the hour. Um, of, of the, the work of salvation being taken care of. There's, there's, one other, there's probably a few more things that we'll end up hitting at as we, we go through. Um, but one other one that's just sort of a neat thing is in verse 11, that when Jesus sends out his disciples, he sends them out and says, you'll find a guy and uh, he'll have a guest room. The Greek is katalama. Um, that is exactly the same word that's used in Luke chapter 2. There was no room for him in the katalama. And in, in the end is the way it's translated in the KJD. Um, and so in a sense, you can see Jesus's life and his and Jesus's life uh, bookended by guest troops. Um, his suffering begins in that there is no room for him in the the guest room and he has to be born in a in a stable late in a manger and perhaps here we look at it just slightly differently that this time there is room for him in the guest room it's as if the father has granted him a short reprieve from the sufferings the challenges of being the world savior I said, I'm going to allow you to eat this Passover, the demonstrative there is pretty interesting, I'm going to allow you to eat this Passover with your disciples, and I'll make sure there's a furnished guest room ready for you to do it in. Just sort of a cool little detail thing that might slip past us. I certainly wouldn't spend all of my time on it by any means, but to, to see the life of Jesus coming full circle like that, I think is just kind of neat. Excellent.
0: Well, Joe, let me go back to you and let's get practical as guys are itching to start writing. So what are your some initial thoughts about how you might handle this text or various points that you might want to drive home?
1: So sometimes with texts, I I find a tendency that there are verses or sections I want to skip over or avoid. Um, Maybe they're hard to understand or there's a a difficult truth there. But I I looked at this text initially and I was thinking, okay, get right to the Lord's Supper. But there's a lot of buildup to that. You know, so actually the institution of the Lord's Supper is the latter part of the text. And so there's, of course, a reason for it. I, I didn't pick the text, but it is neat to think about what what is happening right before you get to the words of the supper. So Jesus, as, as a professor was saying, you know, he gives the instructions, go go make the, the preparations. And then you have that phrase, they found things just as Jesus said. And that's kind of a, a repeating theme throughout Holy Week and really all throughout the Gospels is, you know, go into the next town and you're going to find the donkey tied there. And it was just as he said, or the angel at the tomb, you know, he said he'd rise just as he said. And, and so it's, it's a reminder that Jesus is trustworthy in what he says, which is important because of what he says is just blows our minds that you're not just receiving bread and wine. You're also receiving Christ's body and blood. Um, Go ahead, Tom, you got a knowing look.
3: Yeah, just to, to emphasize what you're saying, I love it, Joel. I don't mean to bust in, but um, there's a bunch of future tenses in starting in verse uh, 10. Um, you will go, you will find, he will be carrying. I don't remember exactly what, what each of them is, but there's like three or four future tenses where the Lord of all is saying, this is what will happen. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's not subjunctive. It's by no means optative. It's future. This is going to happen. And then I love how you focus in on verse 13. And uh, they found it just as he said. And so, again, the certainty that that gives us as we then look to the the words of institution and what that all means. This is my body. This is um, the, the blood of the new covenant. Uh, you can count on it. This comes from the Lord who speaks exactly as things are and always tells you the truth. Very cool.
1: It, you know, it is. And, and just taking that forward then of how we like to rely, you know, that's the old lie of the devil is to take what God says and put a question mark on it and get us to doubt it, or to tell us that there's something else more reliable, whether that's our own human reason, and that if we just follow our own reason, we'll be filled up. Going back to the theme that, no, we're actually filled when we take Christ at his word. And when we take what he says about the supper, that's where we find his food is our fill. Um, so I, I thought about that of just how we we not take you know we we tend to not want to take Christ at His word just sinfully uh, our human reason maybe put that above uh, another I just ran across this quote I I don't want to attribute it to Luther because that's what we do sometimes we don't know who said something but I just read this the other day that it said those who don't think highly of the supper know not their sin the world death or hell. And and I thought about that, how very quickly the the supper can get devalued in our lives. Um, even last week, I had a conversation with another pastor, and he was asking, uh, which sermon do you write first during Holy Week? So you've got Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday. And I said, uh, I'm a sequential guy. I always go with the Thursday first. And he said, I always go with Easter first. And, you know, I kind of just throw Thursday and Friday together. And sometimes I feel like that's what happens to us in life <laughs> you know that oh yeah there's the supper and it gets kind of scattered in here and there in our preaching but um it really shouldn't um in, in how we look at it, it it really should be a focus of our attention so i'm speaking that's a little specific law maybe to myself um but maybe that hits others too
2: hey it's something of a malady there
0: yeah already
1: had
2: something some, to add some great opportunity for for malady preaching there um you know, we even sometimes say, man, I was so busy today that I didn't even have time to eat, right? It's like the first thing that kind of gets, gets left to the side. But then as you think about that, that spiritually, you know, if I'm, I'm so busy that I'm doing all this other stuff, that Holy Communion falls low on the list of my priorities, you know, it's not just, you know, some things are crowding out others. It's, it's instead that I'm looking to those things to fill me up, the the way that I should be looking to Holy Communion to fill me up. I'm finding, you know, my my uh, fulfillment, my value, my worth, um, my status, whatever we want to call it. I know we we had the big discussion about righteousness a couple weeks ago with the Philippians text, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, the idea of just being feeling filled up spiritually. Um, if Holy Communion falls low on the list, odds are I'm I'm finding trying to find those same blessings elsewhere. Those
0: are great thoughts. Others?
3: Tom. Um, is it all right if I if I spiel a little bit about the, the connections to the Old Testament Passover in regards to uh, the structure of this year? It's, it's kind of interesting stuff. Um, over the course of the years, the, the, the Israelites developed sort of a, a Passover liturgy and it revolved around four cups of wine. And uh, it's in Jewish writings, just a couple hundred years after the time of Christ. So we don't know for sure, for sure, if it was in place at the time of Jesus or not, but we do seem to get a little bit of, of some hints that perhaps Jesus was following that sort of a, of a, of a practice. Um, the, the first cup that gets mentioned here in the Luke text was probably the, the cup that was passed around in connection with the retelling of the Exodus account. Um, where the leader of the, the whoever was the father of that group of people who were gathered to celebrate the Passover would retell the account of, of the exodus and how God had saved his people from slavery. And of course, remember the, the painting of the blood and the doorposts and all of that, which is just so, um, wow, just what shadows it starts to throw to us about the, the Lord's Supper and and Jesus' death. Um and as a part of that, at the end of that, they would drink the second of the four cups. Now, what's unusual here is that Jesus tells them to take this cup and divide it among them. In general, every participant in the Passover would have had their own cup, and they each would have drank from their 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 own cup. Um, the, the next one with which Jesus uh, establishes the... Um, establishes the, the lord's supper is uh probably the one that comes after the full meal that after they reviewed the passover account from exodus and they drank that second cup that's when the full meal would be served and at the end of it there would be this uh ritual of drinking the third cup and it was called the cup of blessing and that calls to mind first corinthians where paul talks about the cup of blessing which we bless which would be another hint that maybe this is the the possible third cup in uh, the the passover liturgy and what then one final thought that takes place is there's no recording of a fourth cup being drunk now obviously the lack of a recording doesn't mean that it was that it didn't happen but there are there are some who speculate in a couple of ways, and I think it's godly and healthy speculation that perhaps uh, the fourth cup of this Passover was drank when Jesus said, "I am thirsty," and he drank of that wine vinegar and brought the Old Testament Passover to its final end, um, and by by his death on the cross. The second option is that it the fourth cup will be drunk in uh, the, the feast in heaven, the Lamb's Victory Feast where we'll all gather around his, his throne at the, the heavenly feast either way you look at it, it just it, it paints this wonderful reminder for us that we are part of something that's huge that as we go to the Lord's Supper we are in, in, in a, we are being connected to all the believers ever and uh, that includes those believers who were there at the very first exodus who, uh, who painted that blood on their doorposts and the angel of death passed on by them and they, their life was, was saved and, and out they came. And now as we partake of the Lord's Supper, our life is saved and out from the, the horror of death and hell, God brings us into the, uh, the eternal banquet feast that we will someday so much enjoy. Again, we have to be careful that we don't put too much into that. We don't know for sure if the Jews at Jesus' day had that same liturgy that the Jews a couple hundred years later had, uh, but it's the Jewish traditions tend to stay pretty rooted, so it, it seems at least likely that the, the rudiments of that was, was in place, and kind of fun to see it. John? Yeah,
2: I don't know if there's, uh, if it fits into every sermon on, on Holy Thursday, because there's a lot to talk about, obviously, but, but I think one thing that's unique about Luke's account with verse uh, verse 17, as Tom was talking about, it it strikes people like if they're paying attention, it they'll wonder, you know, well wait a minute, what's going on here? It's the cup first, and it doesn't seem to be connected to Holy Communion. So even just a passing explanation for what exactly uh, Luke's sequence of events there, I think, can be really really helpful for people in a sermon on uh, on Holy Thursday based on on this text. I was kind of also thinking, uh, just in relation to what what Tom said, you know, this and uh, you know, super helpful thoughts about being connected to something so large and so big, and and maybe using the opportunity then too to con- contrast that with what it looks like we're we're a part of. You know, it sure doesn't look like anything all that fancy. And I've I've said um, not only on Holy Thursday but on other occasions too to to our people. I I think we spend way more on copier toner each year than we spend on the elements that we need in order to be able to have Holy Communion on a regular basis. You know, judging by all worldly appearances, this is, this is simple, ordinary, plain stuff. And it doesn't look or, or necessarily even feel like anything all that special when we go through it each week and, and each year. Um, and yet a text like this helps, helps bring that out and see the, the underlying rela- reality. So I, I really appreciated all those thoughts from Tom. Joel. Hey,
1: you started to hint at it too, Tom, of uh, the the words of Jesus there too, where he talks about the, the future aspect of it, uh, feasting anew in, in the kingdom of God. And that was one way I, I kind of thought through the text too of before the meal, he feeds us with the promises. You know with the meal he feeds us with himself and and the forgiveness but it's all that it's still yet a preview of something greater to come so we are a part of something great and yet we have this this feasting yet to come and what is it that strengthens us till we get there his forgiveness himself and you know just just neat how our whole life through uh, he provides the the food that we need the spiritual food
2: Other thoughts. One one thought I had on this text that just seems to be a, an opportunity that would be tough to pass up. Uh, preaching specifically in your see here on Luke's account, um, and and John mentioned it before. Or maybe Joel did, I guess. That while we you know regularly I think mention the Lord's Supper in sermons, we we rarely have an opportunity to actually uh, maybe uh, dive into the realm of what would be classified as more teaching about the Lord's Supper, like we do on a, on a Holy Thursday sermon. And uh, one thing that makes Luke's account unique is that both with, with the bread and what Jesus says about that bread being his body and with the wine and, and the blood, the words for you um, come out in Luke's text in a way that they aren't quite there in, in any of the other three. And when you think especially about how Martin Luther picks up on that in the small catechism and especially that, that fourth part, uh, who then is properly prepared To receive this sacrament and the way he wraps that up, wraps that explanation up with the words for you require nothing but hearts that believe. Um, And just how that, you know, aside from the, the little detail of that, that really fits into the overall picture of Old Covenant versus New Covenant. This is a one sided gift that God is giving for you. There is nothing you need to bring to this table. This is all grace. This is pure gospel. It is something that God is giving to you, which is the very reason it can satisfy your soul is because nothing is expected of you it's all for you
3: tom yeah to bounce on that it's one of the things that i i find interesting is that the word you is plural and i i I guess i would have expected it to be singular you know um and, and obviously the reception of the Lord's Supper is a singular thing. I mean, I eat the bread, I drink the wine. Jesus's body and blood is given to me in that miraculous way. Um, so it, it is very personal and very real. And yet Jesus uses the plural. Why? Uh, I, I think it is to, re- to remind us of that, that, that bigness, the the fellowship aspect that's there between us and all those other believers in Jesus. That, um, and and maybe for those first disciples hearing it that it was a eat, level the playing field thing. remember they were having an, another argument about who is greatest <laughs> you know this is my blood shed for you him on plural um, every one of you needs it every one of you has it. Uh, so maybe that's part of it that God is wanting us to see ourselves as equal and part of something big. How often don't I fail to to see myself as that? um see myself as less than or see myself as more than or just see myself as some wandering aramean out there on my own rather than seeing myself as uh as as one of the part of this huge really cool group that's uh that's there so an interesting greek thought that and i don't know you guys got thoughts on that why it's plural those are the thoughts i had
2: i i noticed that too and and i think you hit on it um and I, I think it's a uh, uh, one of the blessings of the Lord's Supper that's just that needs to be highlighted regularly. Um, you know, every other facet of our lives that kind of has this old covenant principle of a, a two sided thing, you know, you earn what you get um, aside from the effect that that has on us individually. It also has effect on how we relate to others. It, it puts us in a pecking order with other people. So you get on an airplane and you've got the first class passengers versus the coach. Uh, you, you go to a restaurant or you go to some club or whatever. There's the VIP section. You go to a, a baseball game and there's people with better seats versus uh, worse seats. Because this is a one-sided covenant, because it is all grace, it is for you. When we have the Lord's Supper in our churches, uh, the CEO... And, you know, <laughs> name your stereotypical sort of quote unquote lowly job. And we don't want to, you know, pin anybody in that category. But, but all the different orders that people fall into in every other category of their life, were all equals at the Lord's table because this is for you, plural. Oh, but the CEO
3: and us four are all equals. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a great thought. You know, a, a part of the Lord's Supper that we, we rightly spend a ton of time talking about given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Um, absolutely so. But one aspect of, of this text that is a little bit different is the, the for remembrance of me. Um, that does not show up in, in Matthew or Mark. And um, so there, there is a little bit of a, of a, a reminder there. You know, um, I, we have to be careful that in our zeal to protect real presence, or to proclaim real presence and celebrate real presence, which is a good zeal and we should celebrate and protect and proclaim it, um, that we also maybe lose sight of there is something going on here where Jesus does want us to have just the reminder thing. Um, and what, of course, could be a better reminder about Jesus than to say, here it is, here's my body, here's my blood, exactly that which was shed for you um, to, win, to win salvation for you. And a, a part of my remembering Jesus comes earlier in, in the text, in verse fifteen. Um, he said to them, "I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover." Uh, you've got a cognate accusative; it's a Hebraism there. The Hebrew loves the um, to use those cognate accusative type of, of constructions, and it's been pulled over into the to the Greek that Jesus didn't come to this night or this hour. Um, being dragged kicking and screaming I have eagerly desired to do this for you can you imagine that the ruler of the universe eagerly desired to eat his final passover so that he could go and die for me that's astounding gospel that he would eagerly desire this sort of a thing and he, and he did and the way the Greek construction is is there it's just as pregnant with with uh, with meaning Remember that. <laughs> Remember that.
2: John. And picking up on that phrase, I think there's some wonderful gospel in there, too. Um, you know, for, this is for all of you, and it's for your, your faith and your remembrance of me. Um, ties in really wonderfully with Jeremiah's comparison of Old Covenant and New Covenant. So in the Old Covenant, you know, knowledge of God came in bits and pieces and it came at, you know, as, as the writer of Hebrews says at at various times and in various ways, it came through a prophet who had to then, you know, pass along the message to everybody else, or it came through a priest. But Jeremiah says in the new covenant, um, they will all know me from the the least to the greatest because the, the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. And so again, that all of us can come up and when we receive Holy communion, um, We are we are receiving we're we are as close to God as we can possibly be and and there's no question of you know who is this God that I worship or you know what does he think about me? We're we're getting that remembrance, that knowledge and that faith when we come to the Lord's Supper. There's no no secrets left. Joel.
1: And in in terms of like potential applications, I think any time you preach on the sacraments or in particular here of just reminding people that if this is where God promises to be, that's where we should go and find him um it seems like i have a lot of conversations just in general with people who are like yeah you know i wish god would give me you know god would come to me and talk to me or you know i I just wish that you know i was closer to god and it's like jesus is saying i'm i'm here (laughs) i'm right here in this food i'm present and so directing people to where jesus promises to be found and saying he's coming to you with his forgiveness it's important
3: yeah, that's such a great point. In one of his, Luther wrote several things about the Lord's Supper, and and point uh, he just has some analogies that are so cool. I and mean, one of his analogies is that when I eat something, it becomes a part of me. And so here in the Lord's Supper, what happens? God joins Himself to me. Wow, just absolutely amazing. So I, I love your thought there, Joel. I, I'm looking for God. <laughs> Looking for God in all the wrong places. Um <laughs> hey, here he is. And he says, Come and come and see me. Taste and see.
1: Then that actually sparked something else real quick, is I just a, a question for you guys as you preaching, I mean, sometimes maybe not just looking at the text, but reading on like the sacrament to prepare for a sermon like this. Um, what do you use? Um, do you have articles or certain books or different things you use? Um, the reason I say that is you just quoted it and it made me think of it is a lot of times I'll find myself turning to the, you know, communion section of the hymnal and some of those hymns, just how did they present the truths of of the, the sacrament? And um, just getting our people to to dive deeply into what a blessing this is so i'm just curious if you have you know resources or books or articles that you say hey usually when i preach on i like to and if it's nothing that's okay too
2: <laughs> every holy week in the three days leading up to holy thursday i read the entirety of kevinitz is on the lord's supper just just because I'm just kidding. That's a really long. Oh, well, I was impressed. That was <laughs> yeah. you had me there. <laughs> I know. So, I'm like, uh, oh boy. I, once. I did read it once, but yeah, no, it's a it's a good question, and I think. Uh, well, and I, you know, I think, not not to, to dodge your question or take it in a different direction, but it is, I think, an opportunity, and we do this regularly with our Holy Thursday services. is trot out the Small Catechism, and just say, you know, Luther said it takes a lifetime just to master master this. Um, to bring people back, you know, here's what you were taught at one point. Do you still, you know, have those those spiritual truths at your at your fingertips? Let's review them. Let's keep them close to our hearts um, throughout our lives.
3: Um. So I was blessed very early in ministry to take a summer quarter course with uh, Frosty Bivens on the Lord's Supper. And um, my assignment for class presentation was to read Luther's some of Luther's writings in like 1524 on the Lord's Supper. That was really cool. Um, You have to be careful. Early on, Luther sounds like he's a representationalist because Calvin and Swangley haven't showed up yet. Nobody's even thought of representation. And uh, after those guys show up, then his writings become much sharper. But his analogies are, are great. And if I remember right, didn't, I was looking on my bookshelf. Uh, I can't find it real quick. I, I think Bentley wrote something on the Lord's Supper, which was really good. Um, sorry, I'd have to go dig in on that one. I wasn't anticipating that question. And it, it, is a, it is a good one. Just along those same
2: lines and, and realizing that, you know, fast forward 50 years and Calvin had come along, um, the formula of Concord, of course, would be a great a great place to to bone up and review, you know, here's what the Lutherans confessed about the Lord's Supper and read, read both articles side by side, the person of Christ and the Lord's Supper. And boy, that would be certainly a great way to
3: prepare for preaching on Holy Thursday. Had Luther's section on the sacraments in the large catechism was actually... Uh, surprisingly short. You'd expect that it'd be longer, but it's still just gold. Um, and so the large catechism can uh, can be a great resource to go to as
0: well. I, I don't know. I can't remember where he wrote this, but I know it's Augustine. And he when he it's a, an additional gospel thought, but just how God, just knowing that we're a bundle of nerves, takes His forgiveness and and then puts it in things that we can touch. And, and that in every single case, he chooses something so common. So like Augustine would say, for baptism, he takes the most common substance on earth, water, so that every time we're washing the dishes or washing our hands or washing, we we have that daily reminder. And here Jesus takes the, the staples at every single meal, bread and wine. It you know, I just think of like you know, I have I have wine fairly regularly with you know with a good dinner and, and it, it it should like b- bring to mind this greater drink that I have um and just any encouragement we can give to our people just that God wants you to be thinking of His grace every single day and so He connects it with these things that you touch every single day because He knows you're a bundle of nerves that might be helpful. Yeah, and he's done it that way all through all through his, his saving history. I mean you think about Abraham,
3: go look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. For every Old Testament Israelite, every time they looked up at the stars, it reminded of the promised Abraham. Well, that's every single night, <laughs> provided that there's not cloud cover. And, of course, now us New Testament believers get the same thing. I'm part of those stars up there in the sky because I'm one of those children of Abraham. Yeah, gracious God, that's, uh, that's for sure.
0: Other thoughts? John?
2: There, there's opportunity there too, kind of tying in with what Joel was saying before about you know where where do I find God and when you think about how much you know whether you call it mysticism or whether you call it like a neo gnosticism has has crept into just all of religious life in America, including kind of you know popular civic Christianity. Um, so much of it is about a, a divorcing from or an escape out of the physical material world. And God just drives us back to the, the physical world that he created, that his son became a part of, and that he now connects his forgiveness to in these, these earthly elements of bread and wine. It's not, you know, let's ascend to a higher plane of cognition or, or meditation or whatever. But right here in the, the real stuff of real life, we find our God and we find the forgiveness that he delivers to us.
3: Um. Take us in just a slightly different direction. Um, one of the, the the things that it's hard for us to to have any grasp on is how the disciples were reacted uh, as Jesus spoke these words of institution. Um, the prohibition against drinking blood was so strong in Judaism, and you even hear that in the you know the, the Book of Acts is they uh, encourage the Gentiles to refrain from from blood that um, that just went on as a cultural thing that was just uh it, it could and here Jesus says what take and drink this is my blood just the opposite of everything you would have expected from a good Jewish rabbi <laughs> he tells his uh, his his disciples to to do the what well, for them had to be almost unthinkable and so when they heard that that must have been just like a shotgun blast um Coming across the room, and yet that, in so many, so many instances, is God's way that He just does things in ways we would have never, ever, ever expected. Um, I'm going to send the gospel off to the Gentiles. Why? Because that's going to make the Jewish people get uh, get get jealous, and more Jewish people are going to come in. What? <laughs> That wouldn't have been our plan, um, and yet that's uh, that's God's plan, and so often he does things in ways that are so different than what we would expect, including the Lord's Supper, that uh, we're going to eat something so simple, so small, and yet God's going to give us something so big,
0: so amazing. I don't know if you would dive into this during the sermon, but do you guys have any—people will often ask for an explanation of verse 18— I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What's he saying?
3: That's a good question. I was somewhat referencing that, um, with that earlier discussion of the fourth cup, um, that some speculate that he is saying that when he says, I am thirsty and the, uh, his work of salvation on the cross is is coming to its full completion, but the kingdom of God has come. Um, others would suggest no it's more eschatological it's more looking into the uh the the eternity um and that it's saying that the the kingdom of god is is heaven and there i'm going to drink it anew with you in in my father's kingdom uh in in heaven and i i think this is one of those places where we're okay with either explanation you know the fact is we are kingdom we are citizens of heaven now Whoever believes in me has everlasting life, Jesus says. Not will have, but has. Uh, We will enjoy it much more fully uh, once Jesus takes us home to heaven. But we already have it now. And so I I don't know that we have to necessarily define it. I'm okay with it going either way. I don't know, Joel, what are you thinking on that?
1: I think that's really good. Maybe it's just thinking of some of the liturgy over the years of how um, this is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. You know, so I've always my mind has always gone eschatological with that and thinking of, you know, we look forward to that day when <laughs> when we're all together, all believers with with our savior and and that wedding feast of the lamb, that that kind of thought. But your your other thought is excellent. I and I don't see anything wrong with that. It makes a lot of sense too, of just the, the kingdom is not just then, it's now. <laughs>
0: It's one of those things, I mean, you don't have to answer every question in a sermon, and, it, and it's just, uh, I know that sometimes that comes up. Any any other thoughts or final thoughts, guys?
3: Can I give you one, a couple of Luther's analogies quick? Um, sure. They are really fun. One of the things that he found uh, found to be interesting was the fact that, that Jesus used bread and wine. Where does bread come from? It comes from lots and lots and lots and lots of little bits of grain which are crushed. And all of those little bits of grain lose their individuality into the loaf, and they become one thing. And so at the supper, um, all we believers with all our strengths and weaknesses and unique gifts and talents that are wonderful gifts of God, we also become one in a very real way. And he said, similarly with with the wine, where does wine come from? whole bunches of grapes which all have a little bit of different individual qualities and characteristics it all gets slammed and smashed so that we end up with the 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 wine that has one characteristic um and so the the believers are blessed with one characteristic he went on to, to from that make the point that um because of that when i come to the lord's supper in a weird way all of my weaknesses and challenges are being given to the whole body. And all the weaknesses and challenges of the whole body are being given individually to me. But similarly, all of my strengths are being given to the whole body, and so the strengths of the whole body are also being given to me. And I I guess that that is something that I I really struggle to remember in my just walk with God. I think of the Lord's Supper um, probably too much as a me thing and probably not enough, not enough as a, a, a corporate thing. And that's, so I, I think there's some law as a mirror opportunity there, but also some wonderful gospel that I'm part of this family. I'm part of this big thing. And that big thing is, is including me. And it's really, really cool. And those Luther's analogies there are uh, I think helpful for us to, to think it through. As always, you have to be careful with Luther that you don't take too far, um, because he loved to push the envelope. But I thought this was, that was one that really stuck with me through the years. He also talked about how I come to the Lord's table just as a straight-out beggar. I've got nothing to give the king, but man, does he got something to give me. <laughs> Um, and and use that as a picture. He says those who would who would look at the Lord's Supper as something we do for God just flip it right on its head. And that the beggar would say to the king, "How happy you should be that I took your supper" is insulting. Uh, by contrast, how much more valuable for the beggar to and thank, say, "Oh, thank you, King, that you have blessed me so." Now, what a cool thing that the King has blessed us so.
2: And I think that that last thought really connects it to then with the, you know, the great the the bigger picture of the the three readings tied together. This old covenant, new covenant uh, concept, and how if there's if there's anything, if if the, in order for this thing to be complete, I need to contribute something to it. I'm going to be left not just a little bit hungry. I'm going to be left starving. It's not going to satisfy. The deepest needs of my heart, but only when it's pure gospel, something God gives for all of us together, can it be that that food that completely fills us up.
0: All right. Well, thank you, guys. Um, Appreciate it. And to our listeners, you'll be in our prayers as you begin writing your sermon uh, about this Holy Thursday. Thank you.